Oof, our beloved Red Sox go winless in Cleveland. Will the friendly confines of Fenway be enough for us to turn it around in this series? We'll talk all about that and more all this week on Red Sox Wrap 360. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. River, banks of the River Charles. I've caught exactly zero fishes in the fishes isn't a word. Fish in Charles River. <laughs> a couple uh, shopping carts, a couple old shoes, a couple bodies. Never a fish. No. Hopefully, we'll get to hear this song a little bit at the end of some games this week, Ben. Faye. Yeah. Well, I mean. We were hoping to see one today, and uh, we didn't. We didn't. What are you going to do? Gang, thanks for joining us. Uh, alongside Ben Fay, I am Mike Conley. Uh, this is another edition of Red Sox Wrap 360, our weekly Reddleless discussion on all things Red Sox. If you wanted to join said discussion, there's a few different ways you can do that, right, Ben? That's right. You can hit us up on the YouTube live chat where the beautiful Laura is going to be answering all your questions, feeding your comments and concerns or questions to us, and we'll we'll talk about it right here on the show. Or you can hit me up at my Twitter, at Benny Frickin' Jam, and we'll... We'll try to bring it onto the show. I think we have a, a few fans that have told me they're going to be logging in for this this week's. I love that show. So I'm love really psyched. That. Hopefully they can join us in the live chat in there on the old YouTube, and hopefully they can talk us off the ledge a little bit. You know, I find myself with the Red Sox going 0 and 2 in Cleveland. I'm kind of like lapsing back into my pre 4 self. You know, and I, I don't like that. You know, he's a very pessimistic guy. Don't despair, Mike. We have our new ace, Clay Buckles, on the mound for Game 3. Oh, Clay, baby. (laughs) A guy that has been much lamented. We wanted to ship out of town back in July, but it's been okay as of late. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually had a uh, 2.63 ERA in his final seven starts of the year. So I'm kind of hanging my hat on that, even though he's never registered a decision in the postseason. Yeah, and I I think the the one thing that worries me the most is the the pressure of the situations. I feel like sometimes get the buckle. So well, let's hope Ugh. that there is no pressure. That's not a good trait to have. <laughs> not definitely not pinning our hopes of you know extending Big Poppy's career a little bit longer. Oh my, woo! Ben's not exactly talking me off that ledge with stuff like that. So hopefully you guys will chime in and, uh, you know, help me in that regard. Mm. It it kind of started off on a bad foot, game one, uh, Thursday night. Uh, Your boy Cy Parcello got rocked for three home runs and, like, four batters. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, He picked a hell of a time to have his worst start of the season. I mean, that mm-hmm. was like a, a season high in runs given up five, in homers given up three, and it was his shortest outing this season, four and a third innings. Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. He just got just got caught a couple times throwing just right down the middle of the plate, 
and Perez, Kipnis, and, and Lindor put some really good swings on him. So, let me tell you what happened there, Ben. Okay. Uh, Rick Porcello is a guy whose success is based a lot on him getting ahead in the counts, mm. and these guys just wouldn't allow him to do that. You know, so they were really looking to get a hit. Uh, you know, right off the bat, hit that first pitch or you know that second pitch, and you know it's something the. Uh, the Sox are going to have to probably as the same type of uh, what's the word I'm looking for strategy that the uh, the Red Sox are probably going to have to get have in Game Three when they throw Josh Tomlin out there, a guy who's kind of a soft tosser, but he doesn't walk anybody. Mm. Uh, he led the majors this year, only walking one batter per nine innings. So they're going to have to be up there swinging, which is you know kind of different than. The Red Sox we've known here in the past 15 years, a team that's, you know, all about working the pitches and, uh, you know, getting into that bullpen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so now they're probably going to have to try and take some hats early in the count. This this edition of the Red Sox, a little less so than uh, the ones in the early odds and stuff that really kind of worked that count and tried to get walks and stuff, and it was all about OBP, the Theo Red Sox, if you will, back in the idiot days. But, um, you know, this team that, you know, we have come to just assume that the bats were always going to be there, the bats have gotten cold. Yeah, yeah, they have. And, and, and even on Thursday, we were seeing – the bats from some of the unlikely sources I think we weren't really expecting, right? I mean, Ben Attendee gets his first postseason home run, the youngest Red Sox uh, player to get a home run in postseason history. Nice. Uh, so that was great to see that. Uh, looking looking pretty fly with his new haircut, my I know. I you, think, you think that had anything to do with it? He got the old ears lower? Maybe. Just raking. I think he was like talking about doing it, and then you know some of the guys were like, "No, nah, you can't get rid of that flow." I but mean, eventually, he he got it done. So I mean, it's kind of like you know a Samson type thing. You know, he was going pretty good with the salad, yeah. and then to lose it, oh, I don't know. Yeah. He, he must not have checked with Eck before doing that. <laughs> Tell you that he would have told him to leave, leave the flow, go right. You know, and then another guy who had been uh, kind of slow heading into the postseason is uh, Sandy Leone. He ended up getting a home run as well, so he did. Yeah, and then uh, and then also Brock Holt, uh, yes, who got a home run, home run as well. So who, who has been this Red Sox best hitter in the series so far? Right. Um, you know, just as far as like, you know, some of the young guys seem like they're just putting too much pressure on them, like on themselves, especially like. Uh, Betts and Bogots and Bradley and like Bogots and Bradley they haven't really hit for the last month of the season so I somewhat expected that mm. but Betts and uh, Cal Ripken kind of mentioned it in game one a little bit uh, about uh, Betts and, and Bogots their, oh, excuse me Bradley about their swing being kind of a little long you know mm. and kind of like what sets those guys apart is the fact that their hands are so quick and it's just that short swing and they're able to generate so much power out of such a small body yeah. because of that short swing. So that that's been uh oh a, a little bit disappointing. Mm. Um you know, but then like Poppy as well has not hit yet too. And well, yeah, I mean he did get uh you know, he did leg out that double uh he did. which was <laughs> 
props to him on that. He looked like he was flying for Ortiz's standards <laughs> around the bag and, and literally just barely got in in time. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, not the guys that you're expecting to generate uh, the majority of the offense here. Yeah, I heard that, uh, according to StatCast, I believe that was 9.81 seconds that he got on there. <laughs> and uh, that was his fastest to second on a double all season. As soon as he as soon as soon he saw that it was going for the gap, he knew right away that he was going to try to stretch it for a double. He just put his head down and went for it. So. Yeah. I mean, that guy, he's a big boy. but <laughs> So it's a little tough. You know, being around the big boy myself, it's a little tough to get that train going, you know, starting out. But once you kind of get into that glide, he, he can scoot a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think, like, he didn't really get out of the box terrifically thinking he was going to hustle that. So I don't know if he thought that was a short double. He was going to be able to backpedal in. But yeah. he turned on the gas and uh, was able to get there. Um yeah, but, you know, we kind of just – did he score, I think? Did he score on that uh, later in the inning, or did we leave him out there? Mm, good question. Yeah. Good question. Um, I know that earlier in the game he struck out for his old friend and former Red Sox, Andrew Miller, yeah. with two on, and that was kind of really – Well, yeah. And at bat we needed to end the inning, got him on a, a filthy slider. I mean, what a luxury to have a guy like Andrew Miller come in and, you know – Hop right in the game, pitch pitch two shutout innings, and just you know, so nice to have a weapon like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andrew Miller had it going. Uh, Ortiz was just kind of swinging at the sinkers on on, yeah. on that at bat, and just didn't look good. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been hopping all season, and like you know, all last season, anybody that's actually watched this show for this long will tell you. But uh, of you know, I want to get rid of the safe stats, you know, and then maybe to encourage managers to use more of their best relievers in the highest leverage situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it's Tito Francona who's kind of the first to really take a hold of this, you know, uh, former Red Sox manager and obviously does it against the Red Sox. But, you know, it started. It happened at the deadline when they got such a sick reliever as Andrew Miller. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so it's like almost like the perfect storm. You have he kind of you have to get a guy who's filthy in Andrew Miller and who's willing to buy in it, buy into it, which he is. Which most you know closer guys or guys that have been closer in the past are very like, oh, I can only close and all this stuff because they're worried about like their next contract and they want to be able to go into an arbitrator or whoever and be like the GM of the team and be like, oh, you know, I have this many saves and, you know, this is why I'm um, valuable and all this stuff. And it's like Andrew Mill is just a gamer. He's just like, use me wherever you want. Mm, So like they brought him in in the fifth, you know, and... As a Sox fan, I knew we were going to face Miller at some point, but I was kind of licking my chops that he was coming in in the fifth mm. because, you know, uh, it, I, I was like, okay, let's let's waste this guy. What's he going to come in for four outs or whatever, you know? And then, like, we're into that part of the bullpen, that seventh and eighth, where I thought they were vulnerable. I mean, it was good because they, for them, because they still have Cody Allen, who's a pretty good closer, you know? And so to get a guy like Miller, he can work set up, 
or he can work wherever Tito uses him. Because it's kind of silly. Unless you have, like, the Kansas City bullpen of last year or the Yankees bullpen of earlier this year where you just have three shutdown guys and you just go on cruise control after the sixth and you just go, boom, seven, eight, nine. Mm. You know, not many people have that luxury. Right. Some people have one, one good guy, and that's their closer. And then they're just kind of figuring it out. But it's like to use that closer early in the game, like maybe when your three, four, five hitters are coming up and clearly a higher leverage situation, and then maybe using one of your lesser relievers to get through the tail end of the order, it just makes sense, you know, and it's just common sense. And so it's not surprising that somebody like Tito is the one employing that common sense on the baseball diamond, but it's unfortunately that it came at uh, the Red Sox expense. Right, and I and I think what you'll see is, especially in the postseason, a lot of managers will kind of bend, if not break, the the rules that you'll see most teams playing by, especially when utilizing different pitchers in their bullpen. Um, we saw an interesting situation come up in the Orioles series where they actually kind of went in a different direction, and a lot of people think that they probably made a mistake by not bringing out Britain in a situation where, you know, they're in the, I think, what were they in the the 13th inning? Right. And, uh, you know, he decided to use uh, Obaldo instead of bringing out Britain. And, um, you know, so a lot of people disagreed with that call. So I think you'll see a lot of different ways that people, people utilize their pitchers in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, um, I hear you, you know, um, it's good that you got back from Toronto. I know you're up there firing beer cans at the Orioles. Uh, so it's good to have you back with us. Uh, <laughs> Please censor crazy. my face so that they don't come after me. <laughs> I'm a mean, wanted man. I, I saw that, uh, that section, and uh, a redhead would have stuck out. <laughs> Pretty bad. You would have been. If you were the guy, they would have had you. Yeah. Lickety split. Yep. Um, yeah, that was interesting because he was kind of playing with fire throughout that game, like not bringing him in. You know, he was like oh, the best relief in the game, and I can I can kind of understand it for in, you know, in his defense, Ubaldo has been lights out for them the past like three weeks of the season. Yep. But once like he put runners on and got to first and third, and he came out, I was like, oh, he's making the switch, right? And he didn't. He yeah. just talked to him and then left, and I was like, oh. That's a mistake. Yeah. Because, I mean, not only can Britain, uh, you know, strike dudes out when he needs to, he can also get that ground ball. And a ground ball in that situation, you know, gets him out of the inning and, like, That's goes right. ahead. It's kind of crazy. Right. And then Toronto, let me ask you about the wild card. What do you think about that one-game wild card? Like, are you a fan of it or... It, well, ah, man, I don't know. I did, the one game is just like so quick, right? So yeah. it's like you know those two teams are battling it out for you know pretty much the last third of the season. It felt like yeah. to try to get that wild card spot, and then it's just one game and over. It's a little anticlimactic, I yeah. feel like. I mean, the reason that I kind of liked it is that um, it makes winning the division kind of count again. You know, because you have to win the division to, like, go right into a series situation. Right. You know, and then if you are the... Because, like, in the past, it's like, oh, this wildcard team that doesn't, you know, win their division is all of a sudden in a series. Like, they've just got the same, you know, basically scenario as somebody that, you know, won their division. But... Uh, on the on the Dodgers show, Josh kind of brought up a good point that he thought it's like kind of an advantage for the the wild card teams to kind of get out there and get the bats going and see live pitching and like so 
<laughs> I guess it's kind of good for the winner of the wild card and terrible for the loser. Well, and I was just going to say, you know, it's it. You also don't want to run into the situation where you know the division winner is sitting there, kind of twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the wild card teams to figure out who's going to play them, right? Um, because then that kind of works against them. They they kind of get out of their regular flow, their daily rhythm, and then all of a sudden it goes from getting a couple days extra rest to you know all their batters are out of sync and and that type of thing. So I yeah I think you're you're probably right. I mean it it, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I it's too bad. Like I really kind of thought this might come back to bite the Red Sox and we talked about it on last week's uh, program about them finishing the year kind of so sloppily losing five out of their last six and like not pushing Cleveland like if they win that last game then Cleveland has to play the makeup game on Monday have to win that in order to get home field for this series mm-hmm. and in that situation their their starting pitching is already banged up with uh you know Carrasco and Salazar on the shelf and then they probably have to use Bawa in that situation and burn him you know in that that and so he doesn't get to pitch game one and when they took Bauer out I was kind of excited because like he pitched four and two-thirds innings but he had a filthy curveball going that day and I was like oh you're going to Millen now you're going to burn him now and I was kind of licking my chops that I thought we could hit the Shaws of the world or the mm-hmm. Oteros that they'd have to bring in to bridge what I thought was going to be a bigger gap but with Miller going two innings and then uh, Cody Allen going five outs it's like, oh, they only really needed uh, Shaw to come in for a little bit. Yep. And they almost got to him. You know, they had that threat. But Allen came and, like, kind of put out the fire in that one. And it was too bad to see. You know, we only lost that game by one run. And I want to bring you back to one of the plays that happened when Brock Holt ended up trying to stretch uh, that, what was it, a the double into a... I think he tried to take three bases on that. Well, he tried to score on somebody. He tried else to that, score. Yeah, is that what you're and, talking about? Yeah, and it was originally called safe. safe, and then they overturned it. Yeah, I agree with it. It's two yeah. outs. It's like you got to try and take the chance, and mm. it was like kind of a perfect relay in order to get him. Yeah, you know, just like that. It's like it's unfortunate that that happened. I think in the first inning. Yeah, and it came back, and they lose yeah. by one. And it's uh. like. That's what you think in playoff baseball when something like that happens. It's like, oh, that's going to come back and bite us. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, it did. Yeah. You know. Um, but you know, on the flip side, uh, there were a lot the of there were a lot of good defensive plays that were made in that game to to kind of save runs. The one that that jumps out in my mind was that great catch that JBJ made in the third inning off uh, off of Jose Ramirez. I mean, you know, right after those uh, three home runs that Price let up or uh, Porcillo let up, yeah, uh, you know, another deep bomb, and I'm thinking, oh God, here we go again, you know. And then JBJ comes out just full sprint, makes it. I think it was like the pinnacle of his jump to make that catch against the wall. It was a great catch. Yeah. And I think there were some stats on that, you know, where they do the uh, the efficiency rankings on the path that they take and things like that. It was like 96% efficiency and wow. reaching a high uh, rate of speed miles per hour wise. Mm. So, I mean, anyways, great play by him to, uh, you know, to save uh, probably a run on that play as well. Yeah, and I was t- kind of talking earlier about how it's not surprising me that Xander and JBJ um, have started out kind of so slow in this because, like you said, they haven't really hit in the past, you know, 
month of the season, you know. It's very discouraging with Xander in that time because, you know, he would have a night where, you know, he'd get a couple hits and you're like, okay, he's busting out of it. And then he'd throw up, you know, a 2 for 12 stretch or a 0 for 8 stretch, you know. And it was just like, oof, you know, this guy's having, you know, a bad spell at the wrong time. And now it seems like all those bats that have kind of been hot for most of the season – are getting colds at the wrong time. It's it's pretty sad. And JBJ especially, you know, so they leave Xanda and JBJ in there because, you know, as far as up the middle goes, you defense first yep. in those scenarios. No, And, you know, Dabrowski uh, preaches that all the time. And, you know, that's the way it should be anyways. Uh, but one thing with JBJ is I love his arm as a center fielder, and that's one of the good things about him and what makes him a good defender. But... He's got to, like, ease up on the velocity of his throws because his throws lately are not that accurate. Mm. And they're going, like, a quarter of the ways up the first baseline, you know? He's just got to, like, you know, chill. And it's, like, almost like, I don't know if he's trying to go for style points where he's, like, always kind of coming in with his momentum and then, like, diving and, like, you know, and it's, Mm. like... Come in under control if you need to to make an accurate throw. Because right. it doesn't matter if you're throwing at 97 miles an hour. If it's, you know, 10 feet up the first baseline, you know, Sandy Leone, you know, unless he's Plastic Man, isn't going to be able to make that tag. You right, know? right. So. Well, and, and, and you know, heads up play by uh, Sandy on uh, one of those throws. I'm not sure if it was from JBJ or Brock Holt. Um, but it was that that Chisholm Hall single, and uh, you know they threw it home to Leon, and Leon kind of looked up, and threw to second base, uh, got Chisholm Hall out uh, after the review. Right. So um, you know, heads up play by Sandy there, but again, you know, I think it wasn't a great throw. So yeah, that was interesting. Two overturned calls, right? One for either team in the first inning. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like they talked a little bit about it on the TBS t- telecast, and I kind of agree with Ernie Johnson on that one. It kind of gets away from the spirit of baseball ball you know and like one of the things i hate about the replay uh where the guy like clearly beats the throw and slides under it and touches the bag but then he slides over the base right and it's like uh you know i mean i know it went in the Sox favor yeah so it should be but it's like you know i don't i don't know if i like i don't agree with that i I want him to bring that i don't know it's just it's the one thing about replay that leaves a sour taste in my mouth well, I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's whether how that rule works out is, you know, something that I think is kind of separate from the replay rule, right? Yeah. If, if you're in disagreement with that rule, then that's fair. But, you know, I, I, I do like the replay in the sense that it does get it right, uh, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't waste too much time most of the time, you Spe- know, one or two minutes. You know, speaking of use, uh, using technology and getting things right. Uh, I wouldn't mind it coming into play with balls and strikes. I don't know if you saw the uh, – there was a uh, – Real Sports with Brian Cumble did a segment. Did you see that? I didn't did get to, to see that? it, no. Okay. Um, it's pretty good because Eric Burns, a guy who's, you know, old major league, old A, old Diamondback, he's been very – and now an analyst for MLB uh, Network – He'd been very outspoken on, you know, that he thinks they should go in that route, you know, mm-hmm. to, like, make it a uniform thing and, you know, to, to get that. 
And like, I wish there wasn't any of this talk, you know, about it. I wish they just went ahead and did it. Mm. Not told anybody, you know. Seriously, <laughs> don't tell the fans. Just something into the ump's ears. Just not only so much, because that would be like, that's kind of how they did it in their little trial. They had Eric Burns, like, go call a minor league game. And he had an IFB. And he had the dudes from, like, the place in, uh, you know, uh, Silicon Valley or whatever the the same people that made the first down line, mm. you know, the, and they have made the stack cast or whatever pitch cast and all that stuff. I forget the name of the company right now, but and he had one of those guys up there, and he's just telling them in his IFP strike, strike, and then he's doing, you know, he can do his all the histrionics or whatever, <laughs> like he's uh, you know yeah. Frank Drebin and Naked Gun and all this stuff, and uh, Rico Palazzo, what have you, and. Uh, you know, but it doesn't even have to be like that. It could be just like the guys have a clicker where they click balls and strikes and they hold it in their hand. I think the major league umpires still do that. And just make that a buzzer. And it buzzes when it's a strike. The dude buzzes you. And then, okay, you call a strike. And nobody has to be any of the wiser. They could just think overnight these umpires got dynamite at calling balls and strikes. But they broke it down. They had some dude from Yale like uh, take the stats of like, around the zone like fringes like two inches on either side of the zone and all the balls there was about 35 balls of those in a game that kind of went in that venue and like they said that 35 percent of the time they got it wrong Mm. and then they increased it to like three inches on uh, on each side and it was like down to 26 percent i mean that's still a big margin it's like when you have the opportunity to reduce that to like one percent it's like, why do you not take that? You're taking advantage of technology and all these. I mean, I hate to say I agree with Eric Burns, but I do in this instance. <laughs> it's crazy. I wonder if there's like something where, you know, those traditionalists kind of want to keep certain elements of the game in that are have a side effect of having balls and strikes called not entirely. Of course. But I mean, the know, ice has been broken. The, time, right? the ice has been broken. You know, we're already into the replay era. It's like, why not? Yeah, take advantage of the best, you know, technology. But uh, that's a little bit of a tangent. Sorry. No, um, but you know they uh, they also mentioned that uh, you know I forget who it was that said it was worth bringing it up, but they said you know the the lo- how far down the strike zone goes all the way down to the hollow of your knee is something that they might want to take a look at on the off season is possibly uh, raising it up just a little higher because they think you know it just doesn't make sense that you know that should be part of the strike zone it's so hard to hit it down there um yeah i mean i guess but like that's because they don't call the letter high strike for the most part so it's like you, you know you're almost more like you know your sternum you're you're a few inches below the letters to the hollow of the knee mm-hmm. is kind of how they go. So whatever, just make a decision and stick yeah. with it. Yeah. Like make it kind of as uniform as you can. Cause, right. Because all know. the umps, they pick their own pretty much. Right? Yeah. You know? Which is crazy. Uh, strike zone should not be like assholes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then I mean, we haven't really touched upon game two, which we really don't have to because Corey Kluba who was coming off like a quad injury or a groin injury, was filthy. Yep. Seven scoreless. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he just kind of shut us down and kind of looking forward to things, even if the Red Sox are fortunate enough to protect home field advantage and take two of Red Sox, you get to go back to Cleveland and face Corey Kluba, you know, yeah. guy who won the Cy Young two years ago. So yeah. it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that was rough. And 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 Price followed the, the footsteps of Porcillo in this one. Didn't look good. He only went for 10 outs. 
he had uh, let up a couple home runs in this game. So it just wasn't – it didn't look good for him. Um, Pedroia and Holt, they – didn't have the best defense. They each made some defensive blunders during that oh, game that, that led Pedroia to extra threw runs. The wickets. Oh, Pedroia was... threw the wickets, and then Holt um, with the, I think it was like a little bit of a bobble, and he stepped on third and got the out. But realistically, could have got the double could play. Could have the double play. Yeah. So that led to a run, and then Petey's led to a run. Yeah. I mean, which were kind of crucial add-ons at the time we thought, but due to the fact they couldn't even push one across, right? Maybe it didn't even yeah, matter. That's true. In, in that game one, the, the teams combined for six homers, tying the ALDS record. Crazy. And not only did Ben Attendee hit his first postseason home run, but it was also Sandy Leone's first postseason home run, okay, as well as Brock Holt's first uh, postseason home run. So there you go. The the thing is, it's like you know. Uh, We've talked all year about, you know, getting the different phases to kind of click at the same time, you know, and like really kind of get rolling on all cylinders. And uh, the one constant through all that has been the bats. But in this, you know, series, they've been cold. I mean, Pedroia is one for eight Mm -hmm. with a walk and four Ks. I mean, the the kind of the pride of this team and really the identity they've created that even if they do make outs, they don't strike out. So it's like productive outs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, uh, Betts is one for six with a couple walks in this one. Yeah. Poppy's one for eight. Bogots is one for eight in the series with four Ks. JBJ is all for six with five Ks. Yeah. So it's like, you know, is are the friendly confines of Fenway you know, going to be enough to, to get these bats going. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think really, uh, you know, as good as Clay has, you know, pitched, you know, for us in the past, like, six weeks of the season, they're going to need to score some runs. I'm thinking, like, you know, six is going to be the magic number. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, that's essentially what it looks like from the first two. They haven't been able to muster that, you know, in the entire series through two games to this point. So are they going to be able to get it done here in game three? Which, by the way, is rescheduled for Monday. Right. So that puts us... 6.08 p.m. Eastern Time. That puts us in quite an interesting position just looking forward here. Now, you know, we're going to have Game 3 on Monday. If we win that, Game 4 on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And then if we win that, Game 5 on Wednesday in Cleveland. Right. Now, I've read a... I've read... So a lot of opinions on this. I mean, because I think that from a Red Sox point of view, I think a lot of folks think that this is actually puts us in a better position to go ahead and sweep. Because if you win game three, you go right back into game four, which we would have done anyways, but then you only give really the Cleveland Indians one day to think about it before they're right up and going again in Cleveland. So yeah. not a lot of not a lot of rest and and you also give Boston a, a day off here to kind of work on some things, tweak what's not working, make a couple of adjustments. I think this could end up helping us a little bit. I hope so cuz I yeah. mean, you know, after in game 2, Kluber's solid effort and them not having to use a Miller or an Allen in that situation, you know, plus the rain out today. Those guys are fresh as daisies going yeah. into Game Three, yeah. so you know even if Tomlin can only give him the same four and two thirds that Power get, we've already seen that Tito has no problem going in there and getting Miller for two innings, yeah. and he's tough to hit. Personally, I think we can get after Allen if he has to go over an inning again. I think that's going to work in the uh, Sox favor, and you know the Shaw kid. I, I don't. I don't really didn't realize he threw as hot as he did, <laughs> but I, I think we can hit him. But 
yeah. you know, the 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 Red Sox just have to stop be starting to take you know better at bats in there. They're like too panicked and like rushing. And you know, I hope Poppy's like having a having a clubhouse discussion and you know setting the boys straight to relax a little bit. You know, I think one of the things that dr- drove me crazy, and I I think I texted you this during the game, is just watching Bogarts check swings so many times. It just drives me crazy. You know, I like I don't understand it. I don't understand why he feels the need to check swing well, so many times. You know, like if you're going to swing, put a swing on it. If you're not, don't. Well, that's the thing. It's I mean, when some of these guys are bringing gas, if you get guys in there that are coming with 96, 97 mile an hour gas, it's like you got to kind of get that body moving pretty early. Yeah. You know, and kind of, you know, get that, that swing going pretty early. And then if it's garbage, check it as yeah. opposed to just like, because, I mean, it's very fast. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Very but still, fast. But still, I mean, like, you just got to, I feel like you got to make your mind up. I mean. Before the Go pitch. for it. <laughs> go for it if you're going to swing. And you're like, if you check swing and you don't check it, then what good is that anyways? You're not, you're probably not going to hit it. I mean, unless you're Mookie Betts, then you're going to hit it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> if he goes back to having quick hands, of course. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see Xander, you know, really get up there and stop looking for a fastball to hit right off the bat, you know, and kind of look dead red, look at, look for his quadrant, you know, middle in um, to middle down and like just, you know, lock in on that and put a good swing on that first pitch. Mm. Uh, that that'll that'll be good to see. But yeah. oh man, so it, you know it could be a very real, real situation that Sunday will be our last show of the season. And yeah. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. Well, then that would be really stinky because, or you mean uh, Monday? Oh, next Sunday. Next yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would that would stink because then we would just be waiting around like for five days just to get on here and talk about that one Terrible. game. Yeah. Terrible. That would be awful. Terrible. I think they'll they'll stretch it out to five. I think I'm pretty confident we can do, we can win two here at Fenway, and then we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, look, if anybody can do it, it's the Boston Red Sox, That's right? That's true. Because you know this is what we do. Of the 37 teams to fall behind 0-2 in the 2-2-1 format, only four have come back to win the series, and only two with a game five on the road. The Boston Red Sox of 03. Yeah. Over the A's. I was in attendance. I went up to Oakland for games one and game two. Two losses. Went to my, one of my favorite bars in San Francisco uh, afterwards. Shanghai Kelly's drank with some local Boston sports guys and my boy Anthony. And we they were like, uh, and we had, you know, we just rounded our sorrows and had a fun time. And so they were like, hey, if they win two, you've got to come back up for game five. And so in a drunken stupor, I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. I, I'll, I agree. I'll make that <laughs> six-and-a-half-hour trek to come up. Yes. And sure enough, me and Anthony, five days later, were up there, and, there and we, we brought home the win. So, so that was great. How much were tickets? Oh, boy, I don't remember, dude. I was a little foggy. but I mean, like more than five or ten bucks? Uh, yeah, I think it was probably more really? than 50 range. Did they open up the top deck? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sit up in the nosebleeds, Mount Davis, stall a hot dog. Yeah, they probably didn't have them open. And then the 99 Sox versus the Indians, certainly not even the same owners on the teams yeah. in this instance, but that was the one where Pedro had the bum shoulder and he came in out of relief and threw the six no-hit innings. Mm. We don't have Pedro anymore. No. Unfortunately. No. But, uh... Maybe JBJ, maybe Josh Tomlin is the is the just the elixir he needs to get going in his career. He's three for seven off Tomlin 
with a bomb. So we'll have okay. to see. The one good thing that uh, you know for the first two games is the bullpen looked pretty good. You know they're yeah. kind of, they're kind of doing their thing. So hopefully that can continue. We can get the bats going and we can get a pretty good starting effort uh, because, like you say, with playing three games in three days, one of these starters is going to have to give us, you know, a quality outing where they kind of go deep. What do you think? I mean, say Buckles wins tomorrow, game four. Is it gonna? They're going to stick with Eduardo Rodriguez in that, or will they come back with Porcello? Or? Oh, good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, Eduardo's looked good lately. He has. Maybe they just go with Eduardo. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to like? Um... Could always have Porcello in relief if Eduardo like, hurts early. So, you know what I really wanted to ask you about is you started talking about our bullpen here. We've had – we have we saw that Pomeranz was in and Robbie Scott was out. Mm. What did you think about that? Because I know you were kind of riding on the coattails of uh, Robbie Scott for a while in the postseason. You really thought he was the guy to help us down the stretch. And Yeah, I was. I mean, it was just about getting a, a good lefty in there yeah. that wasn't a bad. So, <laughs> right. you know, right. Uh, I didn't even mean that to sound like that. But, no, uh, no. You know, I, like Robbie Ross and then another le- – I kind of like overlooked uh, Pomeranz in that yeah. instance. I thought like he could be still in the mix to go yeah. uh, as a starter. But, um, yeah, I, I don't mind that. He looked okay when he came in and, you know, that's fine too. You know, maybe maybe it's too big a stage for old, a Robbie S. But I like what I've seen of that kid. He'll he'll definitely be in the uh, mix in 017 in that bullpen. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing, unrelated to pitching. Did did they release what the lineup was for today? Uh, they did. Did they, they have they, they released which what it was going to be? Yeah. Did they have JBJ in the ninth spot? They did. They did. Which I like that. I do. I like Ben Attendee up there. Um, it's interesting where, where I just said with the, with the Tomlin stats, if they don't like kind of switch that around, you mm-hmm. know, but he hasn't looked good in the box here for the last three or four weeks. JBJ from the nine hole this season, 341 from everywhere else, 239. Right. So, so yeah, maybe there's a comfort level there. I don't put too much stock in that. I think if a guy's going good, he's going to hit no matter like where he is in the lineup. I think, yeah, probably a majority of that probably came from when he was just on that 29-game hit streak earlier in the season, just raking, you know? Yeah. So It'd be interesting to see when they, if they face a, ever face a lefty in this scenario. Tomlin's a righty, but, mm-hmm. like, JBJ hasn't looked good versus lefties, and, like, I, you know... Uh, Ben Attendee hasn't either, but his at-bats are looking better. I would wonder if they would put Chris Young in left field mm. and then maybe put Ben Attendee in center field, okay. you know, in a situation like that. But Ben Attendee's in his short career is, I believe, hitting under 200 uh, versus lefties. So the numbers really aren't there. I just think JBJ, I mean, hopefully he busts out, like I say, versus Tomlin, but he, he hasn't been looking good yeah. in, the, in that yeah. uh, in that. Uh, that box uh anything you want to get out here before we give the old signerino did did i hear that you guys mentioned the uh the uh, the 
don't know if you say this awards, but the recognition that they gave David Ortiz by naming the Big Poppy Bridge and the David Ortiz Drive. Oh, that did was Did you guys awesome. talk about that last we week? We didn't. I meant to, and, uh, you know, it just left my mind like a lot yeah, of Yeah, so cool, right? I mean, I, I mean, how many times have you walked over that bridge? For him to get that Big Poppy Bridge is great. And then David Ortiz. To me, I always call that Scalper Bridge. Scalper Bridge, yeah. Or yeah. they play, like, you know, the drum buckets or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right there. That old bridge going down to Kenmore Square, you know. So if you come off the orange line, you're coming up over there. It's like, oh, not the orange line, but uh, that green line stop by Kenmore. You come up. Hey, well, and that's David Ortiz. Him? That's David Ortiz Drive now. The, David Ortiz. Between the uh, between um, Yawkey Way and that MBTA stop. So yeah. So yeah, he's. I mean, he's got it hooked up. Good for him. He does. I mean, that's crazy how they like just said, you know, we're going to retire your number on his last day, and gave him the, they gave him the treatment, you know. Hopefully, Good that's not him. the only trophy that guy is able to hoist this year. Yeah. But it's really going to take a village. Uh, you know, maybe we see if JD Drew's available to kind of dust him off and kind of bring him back for a clutch uh, Grand Slam versus the the Indians, but. Oh man, you, you you saw how they're trying to resurface the uh, the the PED accusations again. Who uh, somebody mentioned it really man. briefly, like Tim Kirkchen, but I think he was just trying to be comprehensive. Is somebody bringing it up more than that? I think just people are just you know it's just like every year when people start talking about Ortiz getting in the hall, you know they they try to bring it up and there's no there's nothing in there, guys. Mm. You know they 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 did catch him. We might, As part of that report, maybe it, the name was released, but you know the circumstances for which that report was released is totally unclear, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have been taking something as marginal as you know caffeine or something, right? Something that was sort of banned, but maybe he had an excuse. Like, there's always medical excuses for certain things. Yeah. The fact that the rest of his career he went with with nothing. All right. We put that to bed. I don't okay. care anymore. I just, I just, I'm tired of people bringing it up because there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, we might be also looking at that through rose petal glasses, you know, because you know he's our guy. Yeah. Uh, one thing I know, I said Tomlin led, led the uh, majors and won baseball ball per innings, but he also gave up 36 home runs in 174 innings pitched. So hopefully we can get some big bats going, yep. get a little bit of mo on our side, and bring this. Back to Cleveland, tied at two. Yo. For Ben Fay, I'm Mike Conley. This has been another edition of Red Sox Rap 360. And for Laura, thanks, Laura. Nobody in the social world, you know, hitting us up. But, gang, thanks for tuning in for us tonight. We'll be back <laughs> Sunday next week, you know, around this time, 11, 11 Eastern or so. Uh, so check us out. Hopefully it's not our last show. And uh, this guy's last uh, hurrah, too, here in Big Poppy. So thanks for tuning in, gang. Yeah, no more throwing gum, Francona. That's it. Boom. Thanks for tuning in, gang. Go Sox. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.